Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Mark Soto, and I am here with a special guest. We are here with Honor Radio, and um, it is a pleasure to have a dear friend of ours on the podcast today who has been, um, God, I, I guess we met in 2012, Tim. Correct. This is Tim Ware. You're going to find out a lot about Tim Ware in these next 30 minutes. I'm going to let him tell a story about his youth growing up in uh, in, in the Compton area of, of uh, L.A. I'm straight out of Compton. Straight out of Compton. And then uh, going to college. And I'm going to talk to you about, we've been talking and having fun, talking about the colleges that you went to, but I'm not going to expose it all right now. And then your NFL career, then the Honor Bowl and what we're doing with the Honor Bowl. Tim, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed when I first met you was your heart. And that heart has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger from the time we met at Oceanside. Now to see what you're doing with, you know, San Diego school district. It, it is amazing. But before we go into Tim Ware and, and all of your history and what you're doing now, tell the, tell the podcast about your, your, your youth growing up in Compton, uh, what that taught you and what it did as you, you know, moved through college and into your NFL career. Well, Coach, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I always support and believe in, in the, the mission statement that you guys here have at the Honorable. So I'm excited to be part of this again and, and seeing, you know, I'm excited to see where you guys have taken this thing. So, But growing up in Compton, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that nowadays, they think of, you know, straight out of Compton and, and everything that was going there from a violent standpoint. And certainly that was part of some of the things that were happening when I was growing up. But understand that it wasn't happening on my block. It wasn't happening, certainly not in my home, because we had a lot of adults on my, on my block that said, look, that's happening out there, but it's not going to happen here. Mm -hmm. So there was a standard that we lived by, and there was a standard, you know, back in those days that if I did something wrong down the street and Mr. Johnson saw me, Mr. Johnson would spank me. Mm -hmm. Mr. Johnson would take me home mm -hmm. and to my mom. My mom would spank me because Mr. Johnson had to spank me. Whoa. So there was a, a continuity mm -hmm. among the adults during that time. To watch so out for the To children. watch out for kids. Got it. So there may be some things happening out there that we don't agree with, but one thing we do agree with at that time is how we're going to raise kids. And that is sorely missing in today's society mm -hmm. because uh, I wouldn't dare call an adult, for example, by their first name. Uh, it was always either coach so-and-so, Mr. so-and-so, or pastor so-and-so, but always putting that first handle before a name. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I was raised, uh, a single parent. My mm -hmm. mom raised myself and my sisters, but there were certain expectations, going to school on a regular basis, uh, respecting adults and authority. Mm -hmm. And so that just carried on when I got to the point in high school and playing sports and all those different things and trying to, that's why I really took to sports because it's organized, it is, it's discipline, mm -hmm. it's determination, mm -hmm. it's hard work, and those things were instilled in me growing up in Compton. So raised in Compton, Compton a, a tremendous athlete. What high school did you go to, Tim? I went to Centennial High School in Compton mm -hmm. as, as opposed to Centennial in Corona. Got it. Okay. Is, that, is Centennial still around today? Sure. Yes. Okay. So uh, you become a, uh, a, an amazing athlete in high school, uh, get sought after by many universities, many colleges that want you to come and play for them, and you choose 
the University of Southern California a higher institution. <laughs> it's a private institution, USC Trojans. And I can tell you why. You're right as far as the, 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 op, the options I had, the offers. Mm -hmm. And what I really enjoyed about USC at that time, unlike mm -hmm. the other universities, mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't promise me this and promise me that. They said, if you come here, you'll start here. And they, they didn't do all that. Mm -hmm. They said, we can only promise you two things. First of all, we promise you a great education. Mm -hmm. Second of all, we promise you the opportunity to compete against the best competition in the country. And that's all I ever wanted was an opportunity and obviously the great education as well. So, yes, I am a Trojan for life. Uh, what were some of the athletes that you played with? Oh, man, you know, we had my, my freshman year, Marcus Allen was winning the Heisman, so I was there as a freshman. Chip Banks, uh, uh, Roy Foster, mm -hmm. uh, Joey Browner, the Browner boys, uh, Jack Del Rio, um, wow. uh, Dwayne Bickett. Uh, you know, you have All-American after All-American after All-American. Rodney Pete, mm -hmm. he was a freshman when I was a senior. So, you know, it's it's all about coming in and, and living that, that, that true Trojan spirit mm -hmm. and not giving up, being determined, being versatile, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time making those tough right decisions, and as I like to say, the tough right godly decisions yeah. instead of the easy wrong worldly decisions. So I, and, but more importantly, playing with those guys mm. is I met my wife there. Oh. Okay, I met my wife as a freshman. So <laughs> praise God. Good praise God, buddy. All right. So um, when it comes to to being an athlete at USC, one of the the, the best collegiate schools in America, right? Um, you, you rise to another step in your athletic ability, and now you're getting sought after by the NFL. Correct. All right, so how did that come about? Where did you end up? How did you end up cho choosing the NFL team? The, how were you recruited, all of that? Well, you know, when you, when you go to USC, that's just part of the culture. Mm -hmm. That's part of the culture. I think my, my freshman year, I think we had uh, maybe four or five first-rounders coming out of that, that year as seniors. So that's just the expectations you, you pretty much can see uh, as they develop who's going to get to that next level. And that's how, who we recruit as well. We want champions on the field, but more importantly, we got to have champions off the field. So I um, got to that process, and it's a very interesting process in that when you go to USC, they tell us you're going to go to the Rose Bowl. They tell us that, that UCLA, they are renting the Rose Bowl, but we own it. <laughs> and so you're expected for that to happen. And what happened is we, had, we were on probation in my sophomore and junior years. We couldn't go to a bowl game because of some things that happened before we even got there. And so my senior year, we were able to uh, put together a string of wins, and we ended up in, in the, uh, would that be, the 1985 Rose Bowl. And so well, we had a... Pretty good game. We actually played Ohio State and, and, and beat Ohio, beat Chris Carter and the Ohio, Ohio State Buckeyes in that bowl. And so now you're looking to go to the NFL and see if you have an opportunity there. And I thought for sure, I was told, that you, you were going to get drafted between the fourth and seventh round. And that came and went, and I didn't get drafted. And so I became a free agent. And all the, the, the teams at that time, they call you because they want you to come to their camp, really to just fill out their roster. Mm -hmm. And San Diego Chargers was one of the teams, and I came down here. Their offense at the time really fit my kind of game. Your that style. I had. Yeah. And at that time, we had 
pro Hall of Famers everywhere, as it turned out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking Charlie Joyner, uh, Kellen Winslow, Dan Fouts, Wes Chandler. Mm-hmm. All right, so you had a lot of, mm-hmm. and at that time, the San Diego Chargers offense was the most prolific offense in the history of the game. So I came in there as a little puppy and was able to learn from those guys and really, really enjoyed myself and learned a lot from, from those guys. So you, you flourished in the NFL. Um, how long were you, were you with the Chargers? Well, with the Chargers, uh, four years in playing, getting cut. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't talk about that, but there's a process. It's a business, mm-hmm. and you find that out, find that out very quickly mm-hmm. when you get into it. It's a business. Mm-hmm. And so after I got cut the second time with the Chargers, at, the, at that time the Raiders were in L.A. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went out and tried out for the Raiders as a free agent, made that team. And so now here I am playing in the same stadium because it was the L.A. Raiders at that time, mm-hmm. and they played in the same stadium, the Coliseum, that I played in college. So, wow. So you're going back home. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted the public to know a little bit more about Tim Ware because, um, you know, I've got to tell you, bud, you're just a uh, a great man. Ever since I met you back in 2013, when you saw what we were doing with the Honor Bowl, you were like, oh, coach, I'm all over this. I want to help you. I want to get involved. And at, when we were in Oceanside at the time, and you were a school executive in in, in Oceanside, and uh, you came underneath us and really gave us a shot in the arm and really helped us out. And I got to know you a lot better in the man of faith that you are and the man of character that you are. So you come underneath us. You love what we're doing in the Honor Bowl. What did you like most about it that you saw that the kids were getting out of our football showcase? Well, first of all, Coach, I, I appreciate the, the, the accolades, the character piece. That's very important to me. But I, I, I'm a work in progress like, like all of us. And I am trying to, to live up to the, the, uh, the standard set by, set by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but when I saw what you guys are doing, the honorable, uh, that word, that word honor, first and foremost, because I believe every kid owes their parents two things, honor and obedience. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you're somebody's kid. So that word honor means a lot to me. And for you guys to honor our military, our veterans, uh, and our first responders as well, that's huge to me, especially being in in San Diego Mm -hmm. and our culture. But having that and being able to, you said the word showcase, because you get a chance to have the freedom because of what our men and women are doing in our armed forces to have this showcase, to be able to display your talents on the football field and do all the great things and and take advantage of the opportunities that our country presents because of the men and women over in those foreign places fighting for the freedom for you to do that. Hmm. So that is what I believe the honor group represents, not to mention how you guys are in you get involved, you get engaged in the community mm-hmm. leading up to the actual showcase. That's huge to us because our, our, there's a certain segment our, of our society, especially from a kid's standpoint, they are missing, there's a crack in our foundation. You know, I like to say that there are three types of cultures. As you look at in today's society, especially uh, with our young people, there's the, uh, the, um, the conscience culture. That's the culture of kids who have been raised a certain way, the right way with their kids, with their parents, and, 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 and investing in them and showing them right for wrong. And if those kids strayed away to do something that's wrong, their conscience is going to dog them. Hmm. That's the culture, number one. 
and that that will motivate them to do the right thing in the future. Number two is the shame culture. That's a culture that those kids also were raised a certain way to do the right way, but they strayed away and they made the, the wrong decision. But because they have to face their parents, they have to face their friends, they have to face Mr. Johnson down the street, who, who's also included in their race and raising them, the shame that they feel, that shame is going to motivate them in the future to make the right decisions. But it's that third culture, the one that's growing the most, it's the most deadly, it's the most uh, misunderstood at this point, it's the shameless culture. And that's are the people who are th them also were raised a certain way, but they have not only strayed away from that standard, they are committing these heinous acts as these mass shootings and school shootings and things like that. They're shameless in what they do and how they do it. No, no, um, they're callous in how they operate. And that's the group that we're really focusing on. That's the group that we're trying to reach in order to change their heart. Because we believe no kids that are born as school shooters, but they have a couple of things in common. First of all, they were some, they're somebody's kid and they were raised in somebody's house. Second of all, they were in somebody's school. In my line of work, working for the San Diego County Office of Education, we don't have control over what's happening at the home, but we have control over how we can present our kids uh, at school for those six and a half to seven hours. So. What you guys are doing are right in line in what we do in education and safety uh, and using um, the athletics to share those characteristics, though, that integrity, that standard, that honor. We love what the Honor Bowl represents. Wow, Tim. I got to tell you, um, there is nothing like um, when we go into those locker rooms and we see those kids in their eyes, and we walk in there with a wounded vet or a military commander or whoever is the special celebrity guest that we have with us during that honorable showcase. But today, on the football field, while we were out touring some of the schools that are going to be in our event, um, it was special to be on the sideline and have these athletes that are being recruited by every college out there, and they're practicing and showing off their skills to these scouts, and they're running up to us and giving us a high five and hugging us and saying, thank you, coach. Thank you for what you're doing. Don't you believe that the kids are hungry for structure? Yes. They're hungry for character. They're hungry for this type of message. And, and it just shocks me that there's not more of us around giving it to them. Yeah, well, without a doubt, I, I believe the kids, they, they, they enjoy structure. They may, at some points, may push back against it in the beginning, mm -hmm. but they love stru structure because in that in their mind, structure represents love, support, security, and so yeah, that's missing in our society. But another thing that's missing in our society is the history of our country, the history of our military. There's certain segments of our kids out there, our millennials, they don't know the history, they don't understand. How what this country was founded oh, on. Preach. They don't understand the sacrifice. Hold on one second. Could he get a get some? It's a get some, buddy. That? that means it's a positive thing. Yeah, really? Keep preaching, buddy. <laughs> keep going. I'm no, sorry. no, they don't understand that history and mm -hmm. the sacrifices that people are making on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Not only are 
our veterans out there overseas and all these different places, but their families as well. Mm-hmm. They're people that are back here living a certain life uh, to support the whole operation of the home. The moms and, and the dads are the loved ones are out fight, fighting and, and doing the things for us, uh, but there's a certain lifestyle they have to live. Uh, they enjoy that lifestyle, but it, it's a sacrifice. And so I, I just I just like this as a mechanism to educate our kids to go into those locker rooms to show them this is what it's all about. Let me tell you some a quick story, just to kind of give you give you where we are and some of our kids. My my kids went over to Europe with their cousins. Now their cousins. They were at this point 19 years of age. It hadn't been anywhere. And so they, and, and they spent Christmas over in Europe. Mm. And one of the places they visited was Dachau, the concentration camp, right? Mm-hmm. So they went to Dachau, and they got through the, the, uh, the tour and everything. And after the tour was over, my two nieces, I'm ashamed to say this, but this is reality. My two nieces, they asked the tour guide, well, are these people still alive? Okay, you understand? That's what we're dealing with in the certain segment of our society with our young people. I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying there's a certain segment. They don't understand the history. They don't understand the sacrifices, like I said earlier. But we need to get their attention because we have some great young people out there. And we just need to continue that structure because that structure is missing. And a lot, like I said, the foundation is cracked. And we got to shore up that foundation. Uh, we were just talking about uh, certain standards that kids should have when they come in contact with an adult with the, uh, or an authority figure. There's no way growing up I will be allowed to call you Mark. You're an adult. I, I, I can never do that. Uh, it's going to be Coach Soto. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Coach this. It's not going to be, hey, Mark. Because a lot of kids, they feel that they can call an adult by their first name. Mm-hmm. They start to believe that they're on the same level mm-hmm. as an adult. And that's not happening. So, so that, that certain basic standard or foundation, we need to shore that up. And then what we're going to build after that, it will flourish. But we got to get the foundation set. Now, Tim, uh, when we first met uh, down in Oceanside, what was your role with the Oceanside School District? What? My role was a school intervention manager. And that consists of me overseeing, uh, at that time, six programs the main program being all schools, security, and safety. Mm. And everything with the training, because I kind of grew up in that job, mm-hmm. in that position, mm-hmm. uh, when the, the school shootings and all that stuff started happening, uh, being a former deputy probation officer, I definitely understand the legal system mm-hmm. and the safety system as well. So that was my number one role is school safety and security, but we did other things with uh, uh, attendance and uh risk management, all those different things. But safety was the number one thing and still is the number one priority and should be the number one priority at all of our schools. Now, I remember you, sidelines. For years, you were watching us, and you were always just smiling. I mean, you were a busy man. You had a lot going on in your plate. Um, the phone was always in your ear, right, and always had something going on with all the various schools that you were right. managing. But um, I got to tell you, buddy, it, it was it was a pleasure to have you sidelined and just saying, God, we just, I just love this. I just love this. So now you're uh, working for San Diego County, and what is your role now? Right. So the San Diego County of Office of Education created a new position just to show everybody that security is our number one priority to the point that we're going to 
we're going to develop a, a position around it. And so I am the, uh, the coordinator for school uh, security and safety for the county. Mm-hmm. And so I oversee and support all 42 of our school districts in the county, but also here at our base headquarters and the satellite offices. So I'm responsible for um, making sure we have the appropriate training from a safety uh, standpoint and also security standpoint, training our security, camp security around the county, and putting in place, as we said, the, the pillars of, founda- of uh, the foundations of, of security that we need. And so I'm excited about the opportunity. The job descri- description says one thing, mm-hmm. but the opportunities to make a difference in this county mm-hmm. goes way beyond that job description. I'm excited about that. Um, so now we're, we're developing the Honorable for many years now in San Diego. Tell us a little bit more about what you and I have been talking about, and that is about uh, San Diego Strong. Is yeah, that what you call yeah, it? Yeah. Did no, I say no, it wrong? No, you said it wrong, uh, but I'm glad you said it that way mm-hmm. because now that leads into what typically happens is you have another week, it seems like, and you have another school shooting or mass shooting, and then you have family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. They all get together and they console each other because they lost a loved one in this heinous crime that was committed. Uh, and then what happens is some athlete or entertainer or a politician, they get together and they come up with this strong campaign. It could be Boston Strong, Vegas Strong, or in this case, Parkland Strong or the synagogue. And and then they get together and say, you know what, we're going to love each other, support each other, put things in place, and we're going to come out better because this event, this incident happened in our community. And then probably that politician is going to try to get some type of um, um, law law passed that's going to implement more safety and security procedures. What we're saying is, here in San Diego, why do we have to wait for some heinous crime, be it a mass shooting, happen before we do all those things that we all know is needed to support one another, to love one another, to uh, put some safety and, and, and security procedures in place, not only in our schools, but also in our community, and to partner with people. We're calling it, instead of calling it San Diego Strong, we're choosing to put the strong in front of San Diego and call it Strong San Diego. And so we're going to partner with, we want, we want to partner with our law enforcement agencies, our district attorney, our business population, also faith-based and our health services uh, as well. And so there's a lot that we're trying to get started with this. And when we would love to kick this thing off and having everybody do their part Mm -hmm. um, in this area of making San Diego strong, uh, because our, our theme is to have safe and orderly campuses and communities from the inside out. We want to change the hearts of young people and adults because school shooters are not born. Um, something happened from the time they were born to the time they committed that, that heinous act. And so we want to start from the inside out and change the hearts. But at the same time, we know we have to put some tangible things in place from a security standpoint, be it uh, security uh, personnel, fencing, also check-in procedures. We know we have to do those things because that uh, assures our, our, our parents that their babies are safe. But we know in the long run, we're going to maximize our resources by changing the hearts of young people. So as they grow up, um, they are seeing things a little differently and they're making those tough right decisions. And the honorable and what you guys represent, what you bring to the table falls right in line on what we're trying to do. 
It's just an extension. Uh, and, and this is not going to happen with us just at the San Diego County Office of Education doing it. We need all of our partners up there to get this involved. And you guys are one of our partners. Uh, if we can get to what we're doing and get the plan off of what we're trying to do, we'll kick this thing off with, with the honorable. Mm -hmm. And then when you guys move on, they're going to be a strong remnant, remnant left behind for us to go ahead and continue to build on our strong San Diego. Strong San Diego. I got to tell you, buddy, um, I love this community. Ever since we've been coming down here and we've been invited down here back in 2013 and we started this with all the military presence and the great leaders that we have met, you being one of them, um, it has been uh, an extreme honor to grow this thing down here. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, with the NFL uh, uh, backing us, the 49ers coming behind us, and, and now we're talking to other teams, there's definitely an opportunity to roll this out across America. And you know what, Tim? America needs this. It really does. Our youth need it. Our communities need it. Our coaches need it. It's about giving honor and um, educating them about really our heroes, our past heroes, but the ones that keep us safe today here at home, right. our first responders, right. our, our, our police officers. Um, I got to tell you, I, you brought up the, the idea of, of when you were a child and, and how people were Mr. Soto or Coach Soto, right? That's the same way it was with me, mm -hmm. right? The reason why you became the man that you are today is because you had a community that were watching you. Right. Making sure that Tim was on the right path. You called it your block, right? right. Well, why couldn't it be our community? Right. Why couldn't it? Right. So um, I'm with you, brother, and we are here to, to support you in every way we can. And it's an honor to have you on this podcast, Tim. I couldn't wait to come down here and meet, uh, meet with you. I was nervous. I was like, I'm going to be talking with Tim Weir. He's one of my, one of my heroes. Oh. And I want you to know that, Tim. You're a good man. You're a good leader, and I'm proud to be your friend. And uh, uh, do you have anything else? How can we help you? Is there anything we could tell uh, the podcast listeners? How can we help you? No, we're, we're just excited to be uh, partnering with you guys. And the opportunity that we're hopeful we're gonna, is going to evolve into us going and kicking this thing off with, with the Honorable. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need partners around not only San Diego, mm -hmm. Um, but around the, the country, around the world, in order to make this thing happen and to sustain this. This is not a one-day thing. This is going to be a way of life because those are the things that we value most. Mm -hmm. Our families and our San Diego way of life, our American way of life. And so that's what we're looking to do is further that. And, yeah, this thing spread. I see a vision of the Honorable one day being played at that San Diego Stadium over there where the Chargers used to be, and it's a packed crowd, and we have all our respond first responders out there, our honorable people, our military staff and, and members out there, and all the kids, the CIF, um, the law enforcement, district attorney, all our, our great parents that we have in our community and our, our awesome kids all being involved with this. So as, as we say in Trojan Land, we want the honorable to fight on. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I give you another get some. Um, God bless you, buddy. We're here to support you. Thank you for being on the podcast show. 
this is Mark Soto ending another segment of Honor Radio. Thanks again, Tim Ware, and we'll see you on our next episode.